Father, we just come before you thanking you for your presence, God. Lord, we don't deserve it, but God, we're so grateful that you show up. And God, as your spirit moves in hearts, God, and deals with lives even now, Father, I pray that you extend that healing mercy for souls, God, that are lost. I pray, God, that you just work in a mighty, mighty way, Father. Demonstrate yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. Ezekiel, chapter 36. And I'm going to give you the sermon in a sentence. I don't do this very often. Don't leave after the sentence. <laughs> the whole work of the whole gospel of Jesus Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's other things in the gospel. You understand that. There was a life the death of Jesus Christ. There's the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. There's God the Father speaking. For before the beginning of time, He spoke and, and the world was formed. There, there's the Jesus. He, he was on earth. The ministry that He extended, the life that He lived. There's Jesus now, His ministry in heaven, interceding on your behalf and my behalf. But the whole work of the whole gospel is the work of the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't have the Holy Spirit... We don't have anything. And without the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. Now listen to me. You don't get saved when you decide you want to get saved. The Holy Spirit of God has to quicken your spirit, bring conviction to your heart, remove blinders from your eyes so you can understand lostness, that you are a sinner, that you do not know the very person of Jesus Christ. And as he speaks to your heart with conviction of sin welling up inside you, you respond to God. He draws you. He draws you. He leads you. You see, we're so dependent upon the Spirit of God. It's not by being a church member. It's not by being baptized when you were a baby. It's not by going through confirmation when you were 12 years old. It's when you personally repent of your sins as the Spirit of God moves in and on your life and you respond with yielding and surrender of your life to Christ. He does that supernatural transforming work, that miraculous work of birthing you anew into the kingdom of glory. And at that moment, the very Spirit of God dwells inside your life and He enables you to live in a God God's glory and the God's kingdom and the God's purpose. It's not about getting good enough. It's not about deciding to go to church. It's about meeting Jesus. Now, somebody told me I don't need a pulpit up here because they like the movement. And I do. I, I may step on that thing since you did, brother. But I may. I will try not to stomp on it. So anyway, let me read my text. Ezekiel chapter 20, 36, verse 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Do you hear what God's saying? I will put my spirit within you and cause you 
You know what that word cause you means? And I will make you. I will enable you. I will cause you to walk in my statues. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Man, isn't that amazing? God said, I will cause you, me, because he puts his spirit in me. And that's why we don't. Because apart from Him, we can't. Are you all familiar with C.S. Lewis? He, he, he wrote a group of fiction books. And the Chronicles of Narnia... They're fiction, but they're based on biblical themes. And, and they're tremendous books. And, and most of us are familiar with the, the one, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. And it was made into a movie. Books are always better than the movies. But, but he, 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 he wrote this, this, this book, uh, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. And it's, it, 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 it's a theme. It, it, it's, a, it's about Christian principles. It's about biblical understanding. And, and in that, that book, what he did was he introduces us to four siblings, four children who are brothers and sisters. And they find their way to the back of a large wardrobe, a large closet. And in the backside of that closet, they find a passageway into the land of Narnia. And Narnia is this magical land. It's an amazing land. It, it is a land that's filled with creatures. And some we recognize and some we don't. But all of these creatures, they seem to have a deep spiritual understanding, a deep spiritual impact. But Narnia is a land that has constantly been cursed. And it's in a constant state of winter. It's always snowing in Narnia. It's always cold in Narnia. There's never life in Narnia per se. Because winter is gripped and it's under the curse. There's no Christmas in Narnia. It's always just under the curse of winter. There's no joy. Why? Because there was a wicked king who usurped the throne from the rightful owner. And this wicked king, she cursed the land. And the curse brought this winter upon the land. And everybody there is in fear of the wicked queen. And she's got these, these dark wolves and they're like secret police and they roam around and anybody who opposes the king or anybody who is a threat to the king, she will take them by these, these wolves and bring them and she, she, she zaps them or something and makes them into stone. But the, the one who represents Christ in the story is Aslan the lion. And Aslan the lion, he lays down his life on a stone table. And the table is broken, and the law is broken, and he lays down his life to give life. And Aslan dies. But the lion of the tribe of Judah doesn't stay dead, right? Because Aslan comes back 
from the dead and he is more glorious and he is more amazing than he was even before he died. And when he comes back to life and he comes back from the dead, he removes the curse and everywhere Aslan goes, the curse is broken and all of a sudden the ground starts to thaw out and crocuses start to bloom and trees start to bud and grass starts to show forth and everywhere Aslan is and sometimes you do not see him but his presence is known. The curse is broken and there's liberty in him. There's life in him. There's hope in him. And when he makes his way with his liberated army there to the castle of the queen, the queen has already realized that Aslan is afoot and she has fled for her life in fear of Aslan. And when he gets to the castle, he enters into the garden and there's stone statuaries everywhere. And everyone who opposed the queen, she had them turned into stone, right? And your mind goes, how's Aslan going to help them? They're stone. And I will put a new heart. And I will give you a new spirit. And I will take away the stony heart. You see it? See, C.S. Lewis, he captured what regeneration is in this story. And regeneration is that fancy $5 word for being born again. It means you've been saved. It means you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. It means you've been washed and you've been set free. It means that stony heart has been taken out and the very flesh of God has been imparted to you by a spirit and you can live. That's what that means. You see, 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 to be regenerated, you look here. Now, Aslan the lion, the king of the kings, my friends, he's standing there as those statuaries. Do you know, do you remember what he did? He breathed on them, the breath of life. And all of a sudden, the stone broke away and life came forth. He breathed on them and all of a sudden, their lungs filled with vitality. Their hearts started to beat. They started to move. They had the life of God inside them. That's what it means to be born again. Has that happened to you? Well, preacher, I just signed the card one Sunday. That ain't going to cut it. And you better figure it out on this side before you get to the other side. Because it's not about signing a card, being dunked in the water, being a good kid, going up because your buddy went up. It's about you repenting of your sin and meeting Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's how you get born again. In this story... Look what it says over in John chapter 21. You see, God comes to set captives free. Jesus came to forgive us our sin, to wash us and make us whole. Jesus came to impart to us 
His Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God, into our lives so that we live under His glory. You understand life is short. You understand we have no guarantee of another day. You realize that that we've got a, a, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. You realize what you, your response to God right now may be the last opportunity you have. Because as the Spirit of God is breathing in this place, is blowing through this place, you have to say yes to Jesus Christ and responding to Him in surrender of your life. You see, when God is saying here, I will put my Spirit into man, that word Spirit in the Greek or in the Old Testament Hebrew is the word ruach. Can you all say ruach? Ruach, you're not speaking in tongues, you're speaking Hebrew. You know, ruach is the word. Because the word ruach, it means spirit. The word ruach, it means wind. And when God himself comes upon your heart and comes upon your life, he's trying to breathe into you his life. He's trying to breathe into you, whereby the stony heart gets broken away. He's trying to breathe into you. But will you receive the breath of God? Because that's how you're saved. I was a 10-year-old boy in a revival meeting on a Thursday night. I knew I was lost since I was eight. If I'd have died as an eight-year-old boy, I'd have gone to hell. Because I knew I was lost. I was in that age of accountability where I realized lostness. You've got to understand lostness before you can understand salvation. Your mama can't do it for you. Your daddy can't do it for you. They may have taken you to church. They may have had you sprinkled. They may have had you christened. They may have you baptized. That don't mean nothing, guys. You've got to meet Jesus yourself. You get born again. He died for your sins specifically. And you have to respond to the gospel yourself. And when he saves you, he said, I take that stony heart and I break it away and I put a new heart in you. That means he puts the want to in you to live for him. I got a whole lot of folks who are on church rows who ain't got no want to. You know anybody like that? They got no desire for God, no desire for obedience. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, God was saying in the book of Ezekiel, through Ezekiel, he was saying, I gave you commandments to keep. I gave you one commandment in the garden of Eden. One commandment I told you to keep and you couldn't do it. I gave you 10 commandments on Mount Sinai and you couldn't keep them. I've given you hundreds of commandments on how to live holy, how to live for my glory, but you can't. And so I'm going to change it up. I'm going to stop telling you, stop telling you that you've got to do this and I'm going to come down and I'm going to take that sin and I'm going to put it up on my life and I'm going to breathe my breath inside you when you respond to me and I will do it for you. But you gotta come to me. You gotta trust me. You gotta surrender to me. Because if you won't do that, all you got's religion. But you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you might be a Baptist, a Southern Baptist, an Independent Baptist, an old regular Baptist, a general Baptist, there's fifty of them, you know. But it don't gonna get you to heaven. Or you might be a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Nazarene or a Holiness or a Pentecostal or a Tangerine, as y'all said. It ain't gonna help you. You got to meet Jesus. And you meet him 
with an unconditional surrender. You can't come to Jesus hanging on to your sin. You can't be shacking up with you and say, well, I'm going to get saved, but I'm going to keep my relationship with my... Can you? Because you can't hang on to your sin and come to Christ. Jesus told the woman, well, he said, honey, you, you ain't got one husband, you got five. You got to deal with your sin, and you deal with your sin by repenting and responding to Christ. Look what he says in John chapter 20. Verse 21. The disciples are in the upper room. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. Disciples are waiting. They're scared probably. Here they're sitting around. And then Jesus, he showed them. He showed up. You know what they probably did? They probably squealed like a girl, remember? Yeah. And you know the first thing he said? He said, peace, verse 21, be unto you. He said, calm down. It's me. Isn't it amazing how you calm down when you know that you know that you know you're saved and you know that you know you're in the presence of God? Stressors come all at us in life every day. But when we get into the presence, my friends, we can calm down. There's a peace that comes. And he says, peace be still. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. He said, calm down, I'm going to send you. And then what did it say in verse 22? And when he had said this, he... He breathed on me. Oh, isn't that amazing? What the breath of God does. Isn't it amazing how, how when Jesus shows up, he gives a calmness to your soul. Nothing's changed, but Jesus is here. The situation's still the same, but Jesus is here. He speaks calmness to us. He gives direction to us, and he breathes on us. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. You remember the story of Nicodemus over in John chapter 3? Look there for a moment. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And the same came to Jesus by night, and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. You see, see, Jesus was, was causing a little bit of a stir. Jesus was upsetting some, some things in people's minds and in people's hearts. And yet Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, who was a, who was a member of the Sanhedrin of the 70 plus one, he was the elite of the elite. It would be like a senator in the United States of America going to Jesus Christ. That would be the equivalent. He was a lawmaker. He was the one at the top of the food chain. If you met anybody on the road and you said, is Nicodemus going to heaven? 
heaven, they'd say, absolutely, Nicodemus is going to heaven. If anybody's going to heaven, Nicodemus is going to heaven. He's a wonderful man. Nicodemus was that kid you didn't like in school because he messed up the curve because he was always making A's and 99's and 100. And he didn't help anybody get a good grade. And Nicodemus was at the top of his class. And he started out. He was going. He was striving. He was working. And he became this assistant to the congressman. And all of a sudden, now he's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's the elite of the elite. And he comes to Jesus. And you know what he tells Jesus? He says, Jesus, I know by word and by work you are from God. And I want you to know that you're all right. And here's what I think Nicodemus thought. I think Nicodemus thought Jesus would be impressed that Nicodemus was impressed with Jesus. Do you know anybody like that? God's going to be impressed with me. I made it to church two Sundays in a row. I even gave an offering. And we think we impress him. So Nicodemus came to Jesus because, see, Jesus, he, he knew by word and by work that he was from God. And, and he was expecting, I guess, Jesus to go, Nicodemus, wow, I'm glad I've got your approval. Get your big boy britches on and quit living for the approval of man. And realize this, the most dangerous person that... Preachers who live for the approval of man are dangerous. You got to understand that. You live for the audience of one. Now, I've been here two months. I've lived here two weeks. I'm the newbie. I don't know if you're a member, if you're a visitor. I know nothing about anybody in this room. But you live for the audience of one. And you're not trying to please or impress man. And Jesus heard Nicodemus and he blew him away. Look what it says in verse 3. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said, I didn't ask him that. What's that got to do with me? He's the religious elite. And he doesn't know Jesus. He knows the Torah. He knows about holy God. But he doesn't know the Savior. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his... He is so off base, is he not? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? The sad thing is he's serious. He don't have a clue. Do you realize that we deal with people in life that don't have a clue? They think they got a clue. 
They think they understand. Do you understand? That's why I can go, Josh can go, any of you can go, and you can take somebody through the Romans road, and you can show them with the Word of God, the Bible, and they look at it, and they go, huh. You see, I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. What has to happen is there's got to be that connection of grace where the Spirit of God shows up, and the Spirit of God convicts, and the Spirit of God moves, and all of a sudden, what didn't make sense, it makes sense. Because I realize I'm lost and I realize there's a Savior and the only person that can save me is Jesus Christ and I've got to surrender all to Him. And when I tell people about the plan of salvation and they just look at me with four eyes, see, we sit there and say, why don't you get it? Because the flesh can't get it. It takes the Spirit to quicken your spirit before you get it. And when you get it, man, it'll set you free. It'll save your soul. It'll cleanse you. It'll wash you. It'll sanctify, secure you, seal you, satisfy you. It will do the work of grace. Grace works. Amen. Listen to me. Nicodemus, he don't get it. Look what Jesus said. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Have you been born again? Have you been born of the Spirit of God? Born of water. Born with a woman. It breaks. Water comes forth. That's to be human. But to be born of the Spirit, that's completely different, isn't it, brother? And he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. I don't care how much you wash it, deodorant it, perfume it, cologne it, aftershave it. It's flesh. And it can't save you. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. See guys, there's nothing like being born again. And there's nothing like after you've met Jesus Christ where you walk in the rhythm of the Holy Ghost. You walk in harmony with Christ Jesus day in, day out. And you have sweet communion, fellowship with Him. It doesn't mean that we do it always perfectly. It does not mean that we do not stumble and fall. But it means we do know how to get up and get on our knees one more time before the Father. Confessing our sins because He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And all unrighteousness as we come before Him. But you see, we understand that, that, that we walk in harmony. We walk in rhythm with Christ. He says, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not, I said unto you, ye must be. You have to be. You gotta be. There's no way around. You must be born again. Are you? I'm not asking if you're a church member. I've baptized a lot of Baptists. I'm not asking if you're a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Pentecostal. I'm asking, have you been born again? By the Spirit of God. That's the only way. Look what he says. 
the wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it cometh. But whether it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. He said, Nick, he said, you see the leaves rustling because of the wind. You hear the, the wind howling and moving, but you don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's going. You don't know when it's going to stop. And he says, when God's Spirit's moving and speaking, now's the time to be saved. Because if you say no to God tonight, His Spirit may never blow your way again. You say, well, preacher, that thief on the cross made it. Absolutely. Look who he is talking to. He's getting witnessed to by Jesus. hear me the wind blows he said that's like the spirit of God when he's stirring in your heart now is the time to come now because it may never pass your way again and to leave a service like this Knowing the Spirit has quickened you is a scary thought. And you may be saved here today, and the Spirit is quickening you. He's saying, respond. And you may know exactly what the issue is, or you may not. But at an altar, he's saying, respond. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? I don't get it. When God blows his breath in your life, he's drawing you close for a reason. Right? He's trying to bring you to that point where that stony heart is broken away. And you may be saying, Preacher, I'm a deacon at my church. But I think I'm lost. Thank God He's showing you now. And you got to deal with the sin of pride and move forward in faith. Preacher, I'm a preacher and He's showing, I'm a Sunday school teacher and He's showing. You've got to say, Whatever God just said, I'll respond. And so as He quickens your heart and He is saying, It pressed upon you lostness, you respond to that call. Maybe He's saying it upon you not lostness, but He said, Deal with this issue. Maybe He said, Respond and surrender in this area. I don't know what He's saying, but if He's stirring you, you've got to respond. He said, Nicodemus, what do you say? Verse 7, you must be born again. He did not say, he did not say, but Nicodemus, I'm so glad that you're impressed with me. That makes me feel so good. And Nicodemus, I've been wanting to talk to you. And, and, and here, I'm going to have you fill out this card and check this box. 
and, and we're going to say a prayer because you see, there's a separation between you and the Father. But I've come to bridge that separation. And so, so I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to get back with you or somebody's going to come visit you in the next week or so. Is that what he said? No. He said, you must be born again. And he didn't mean to it next week. See, we water a lot of stuff down. But you must be born again. Because if you're not born again, this heaven that we sing about, you're going to miss it all. Loved ones that have gone on before you that are in glory. Precious person, Jesus. You'll miss it. Anybody alive in 1845? I didn't think so. You may feel that way some days, right? Charles Finney. Anybody heard of Charles Finney? Yeah. Charles Finney was a, a, a mighty man of God, a mighty revivalist and he was preaching up in Philadelphia in around 1845. And as he was preaching this week of meetings or month of meetings, I don't know how long he was there, two lumberjacks came out of the eastern hills of Pennsylvania and listened to Finney preach. And, and when they listened to the gospel message being presented, they responded and they were born again into the kingdom of God. Finney knew nothing about these two guys. He didn't even meet them as such. And they went back into the, the mountains there of Pennsylvania and they started back lumberjacking what they had done before. But they understood enough about their faith. Why? Because God had removed this stony heart and he had put a heart of sensitivity and flesh unto him. He had filled them with his spirit. And they understood enough about that that they said, there's no churches, there's no literate people, there's no preachers. And most people out here can't even read. And we don't know what to do. But we know enough that we just need to start praying. And so these two men who were barely born again into the kingdom as far as being seasoned they were they were born again fresh babes in Christ they said we've got to start meeting to pray and they started meeting to pray together and all of a sudden these two men two others joined with them and all of a sudden two became four and soon two others joined them and they became six and all of a sudden they became twelve and all of a sudden they became more and all of a sudden there was a move of the spirit of God taking place over eastern Pennsylvania in an 80 square mile area in two years time they said loggers mountain men would be up in those trees getting ready to cut the top out to fail the tree and the conviction of God would come so heavy upon their life they would stop what they were doing they would drop their saw they would come down that tree and they would walk about with this burden this grief this conviction saying can you help me can you help me I don't know what to do when was the last time you saw somebody so broken so consumed with the convicting power of the Holy Ghost that they couldn't stand themselves we're missing something and eventually these old people would find their way to these two loggers who knew Jesus. And in a two-year period, 5,000 people came to faith. Without a preacher, without a singer, not any of them. Finney was going back up the Delaware River. Stopped to have a meeting. And these two loggers came out of the woods. And they started telling him what was going on. 
They were saying, send us somebody to help. And then he said, you got somebody. Look at Ezekiel 37. You see, God has just said, I'm going to take that stony heart and I'm going to put within you a heart of flesh to where I will cause you. I will make you. How does God make you do something? Now, men, let's get real honest. Can your wife make you do anything? We got some honest men in here. Does she threaten you with a hockey stick? Yes. All right. See, see, you know how our wives make us do stuff? Because something gets unsettled inside us, doesn't it? And the same thing we can say, ladies, our husbands make me do. Because there's something gets unsettled inside of us. And... You see, when God says, I'm going to cause you, he causes something to get unsettled inside of me. And I can't do nothing until I get right with him and I do what he's asking me to do. Ezekiel said in verse 37, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit and set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones. You know the story. Dry, sun-bleached bones. And God said, Nicodemus... Ezekiel, can these bones live? And he said, Lord, only you know. You ever sung in a place where you're saying, Lord, only you know? Yeah. I've preached a lot of those places. God said, preach to the bones. And he began to preach. And all of a sudden, there got a commotion going on. And the commotion there started to be a rattling because bone came to bone and, and flesh started covering. Man, preachers like it when there's a commotion going on. You like it when there's a commotion going on, right? Because you see, there's a movement. There's something happening. And when something happens, that can mean everything. Or that can mean absolutely nothing. Because you see, there's a commotion going on, but these bones are still dead. We can have a whole lot of commotion and still be dead. He said, pray. Pray. You see, guys, the part God asked us to do is that right there. Pray. Pray in faith. Pray. And then look what he says in verse 12. I'm, I'm getting through this. Therefore prophesy and say, And thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that Ezekiel is a great preacher. That ain't what it says. It says you will know that I am the Lord and that I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And ye shall, and, and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. It's all about Him. 
It's not about the preacher. It's not about the singer. It's all about him. And he said, you got to know I did this. I breathed my breath inside of you. I quickened you. I made you alive. I washed you. I saved you. I sealed you. I secured you. I did that. But So what do you do? You surrender. Nicodemus had already made a decision. And decisionism gospel is killing us. Nicodemus had already made a decision that Jesus was from God. His words and his work proved that he was from God. He had made a decision to go tell Jesus he was impressed with him, thinking that Jesus would be impressed with Nick because he was impressed with Jesus. He had already made a decision. That's as far as your flesh can take you. It's not about another decision. It's about surrender. Where you come just as you are. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Here I am. I surrender all. Have you ever done that? That's how you're saved. You don't strike up a bargain. You don't cut a deal. You surrender. And when you surrender in faith, (laughs) the breath of God blows in you. So what's God said to you tonight, guys? Do you know that you know that you know that you know if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? Because you can. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things are written that you can know that you have eternal life. You can know it. Because he raised in you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father God, I don't know what response needs to be made by people tonight. But, Father, I know that you have blown your breath in this place and lives. And you've quickened some souls tonight. And you just ask us for one thing. Surrender. God, I pray, continue to quicken and continue to move and stir.